You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Retail Remix. Given the rapid developments surrounding the coronavirus pandemic, the RTP editorial team and I decided it was best to have an open, albeit virtual, discussion around our latest coverage, some new updates, and implications there are for retailers of all sizes. I have with me today Adam Blair and Glenn Taylor. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time. Glad to do it. Absolutely, of course. Other than what we already know, that the Dow has plummeted to a new low, and that there is an increasingly pessimistic view around the state of the economy, we do have some new numbers from the U.S. Commerce Department. February experienced a 0.5% drop in retail sales, and even if we exclude auto and gas, we're still faced with a decrease of 0.4%. This, of course, has led analysts to make the connection that even in the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, consumers were being more selective with their shopping trips. But of course, the big elephant in the room now is the reality that this drop was just for February. So we have a bit more time before we can really see the big picture industry impact that Corona has had, especially given the rolling list of store closures for not just large chains and mall-based retailers, but for small businesses as well. Morgan Stanley analysts have found that early March alone saw a total retail traffic drop of 9.1%, apparel retail traffic fell 3.9%, and luxury traffic declined by 14.7%. Across the board, really staggering numbers. With that, Glenn, you've been keeping a close eye on the measures that retailers are taking to prevent, or at the very least minimize, spread for consumers and employees alike. What are some of the key things that you're seeing right now? Absolutely. Well, number one, above anything else, uh, it's all about closures, closures, and more store closures. Uh, Ever since the beginning of this week, we've seen a lot of the major brands within retail, Apple, Nike, Patagonia, Glossier, Away, Everlane, Allbirds, REI. They were really part of that first wave of retailers that essentially said, we don't want any consumers coming in our stores. We have to ensure the safety of everybody involved. Then as the week went on, you saw a lot of the traditionalists, the Macy's, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, IKEA, they also ended up following into this flow. And it was interesting knowing that you're having a traditional group here that once again seemed to be following how a lot of the more uh, forward-thinking companies ended up going. And I think the scary reality of all this, and this was an interesting stat from Deb Weinswig at Coresight Research, was that this could escalate, which has already been you know, a tough time for store closures, while these are, for all these brands, all these companies, temporary store closures that are for now implemented till the end of the month, most of them, this could escalate to a possible 15,000 permanent store closures in 2020. So that's something to really look out for specifically as we see how retailers are going to be performing for the rest of the year, given all that's going on. As far as stores that have stayed open and stores that have taken measures with uh, employees and consumers, you do have your grocers, of course, the uh, essentials, if you will. Anybody that's selling grocery, your big boxes, Walmart, Target, your discounters, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, and pharmacies, of course, whether it's Walgreens or CVS, the majority of all those stores will still be open and are just ensuring that they're store hours are cut. I know um, for specific examples like Dollar General or uh, Stop and Shop even, 
they are extending hours earlier in the day, which is great for people that may be susceptible that are affected by the coronavirus, whether it's folks that are older or folks that already have pre-existing disabilities, conditions that would make it problematic to shop. An interesting example that I noticed recently was Best Buy, who has not actually closed their shop yet, has actually done very well in this uh, recent time with people buying a lot of materials to work from home, is as of March 23rd, they will be implementing a policy where only 10 to 15 consumers at a time will be able to be in those stores. And while they do that, each person will be introduced to an employee at Best Buy who will practice social distancing and remain within six feet if they need to be led to a specific product. So that's a way to really look at how the landscape has changed in that way. We're not only focusing on what the consumer's health and needs are, but also even the employee there. And I think it's very interesting now going forward, if other retailers were to consider staying open or the bigger ones like Walmart and Target, if they were going to implement things such as that social distancing, even with the employees that are there. So yeah, on that, you have the social distancing. And of course, like I said before, the added hours opening, which is a huge deal for grocery. And I certainly expect that to play out a little more than it has with the select retailers that have been doing it, which are mainly local. Yeah, I think there's some great points there. And I think it's fascinating to hear that strategy from Best Buy, how they're kind of taking the given measures and the best practices that that have been shared by the CDC and um, are turning it on its head, making it applicable to their business model. And I know we've heard from retailers like uh, Target, especially that are using this as a key way to optimize and further further promote, for lack of a better word, their more flexible fulfillment options, BOPIS, and also their curbside pickup offerings, which of course, you know, as people's um, red flags go up, so to speak, as they're more cognizant and cautious of when and where they go out into the public, knowing that they're taking those measures to give the consumer options. I, I think that that's becoming a key way to differentiate, I think, because we're hearing more and more need for not just clarity, but transparency from these brands. So knowing that companies like Target are kind of are being a bit more proactive around their omni-fulfillment and flexible fulfillment options to get the product in consumers' hands, that's really going to be key, I think, as, as this whole era continues to evolve. Because at this juncture, it, it, we're in a case of we don't really know how this is going to be <laughs> evolving day by day. So at least they have that solid foundation in place. Yeah. And we also don't know how long it's going to be lasting. I, I think that Best Buy example is fascinating. And another one is Dick Sporting Goods initiating curbside pickup, I believe, for the first time. So I wouldn't say that sporting goods are an absolute necessity, but they're certainly looking for a way to both show their leadership, I, I would say, but also obviously try and stay and do whatever sales that they can. I mean, this is going to potentially be, as Glenn indicated, really dark times for retailers big and small. And I think they're looking for any way to balance that educational role, which they seem to be taking on to some extent, and also their role as businesses that need to continue operating or hope to continue operating. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll dig a little bit deeper into the employee or workforce impact in a little bit. But I have to ask before we move forward into the supply and demand issues that are undoubtedly bubbling up right now, what do you believe will be the impact for 
malls and mall-based retailers. I mean, already we've been covering this volatile uh, area of the industry, but I've been seeing more and more coverage, more and more analysis around how this is really going to be a significant squeeze on those brands in the middle that are already start sort of wavering in their ability to adapt and thrive in this era. What do you think the implications are? I mean, we're already hearing about mall closures, American Dream, you know, just opened or was going to begin to open more retail stores. That's closing down. We're hearing more announcements in New Jersey where our headquarters are that we're going to be implementing, you know, mall closures as of Saturday, I believe the, the latest update said. So what's going to be the long tail effect, do you guys think? Because already these mall developers and mall-based retailers have a lot on their plate as far as ad- adapting and mm. figuring out next steps. So what, what do you think is next? Well, as you indicate, Alicia, you know, we malls are uh, a kind of a tale of two cities. The top performing ones, the A malls, were doing, if not spectacularly, they were doing okay. It was the, the B and C malls, the ones that may not have the latest brands or stores or may not be in the most advantageous geographical position, have really been struggling. And I think this could potentially winnow out some of those malls or the operators that are working with them. Another closure I heard about was Mall of America and uh, the King of Prussia Mall, both of which are enormous, one in Minnesota, one in Pennsylvania. And I'm sure that's only very much a partial list. And that's going to have a ripple effect on the retailers that are mostly mall-based. A lot of them already in the last couple of years, we've reported, I don't know how many times about mall-based apparel or specialty or et cetera, other retailers either going through bankruptcies and then emerging slimmer or going through bankruptcies and closing down. So it's going to be a very, very tough time for the mall industry and the related industries, I would say. Yeah. And even adding on to that, like you said, Adam, uh, the idea there of just a lot of those apparel mall-based retailers that were there, the specialty types, so many of them already had so many operational issues when it came to trend forecasting, when it came to really getting the right products at the right time that were compelling enough to shoppers, that these were companies that already were pretty much, you know, before any of this even came about, you always talked about who was at risk. And there were generally those top companies that weren't department stores. It was either department stores or it was specialty apparel mall-based companies that really were ones that were looking to, you know, be projected for potential bankruptcy. So you see how that shakes out now. And it is a scary environment knowing that going ahead, there is a good chance that by the end of this year, we're going to see, even Deb Weinsweig said this, not only chapter 11 bankruptcies, but chapter 7s, where you're not even restructuring at this point. You're not even reorganizing how the company is working. You're actually just liquidating entirely. And I think that's something that really ties back into that potential for 15,000 stores closing is the fact that now we don't know how many malls that aren't the A-class malls, how they're doing, if they're having still too many of these kind of retailers there and you're going to have no traffic over a select period of time and you're not getting bailed out, which is what the ICSC is hoping for, then you are looking at a scenario where even malls may be closing down the road. So there is a lot to be shaking out there beyond just the individual retailers. And really, you know, you see these class C and D malls, it's just very uncertain. And there's no knowing really how much and how long they could stay open. I just want to take a really, really quick big picture look. Uh, Glenn, you're mentioning the issues those retailers have had with making their inventory more appealing. Maybe the long-term opportunity for this is via 
to some extent, e-commerce, where there's more opportunity to understand more about what customers actually want on an ongoing basis. That's been an issue with a lot of mall-based retailers. You'd see the same thing in any mall in the country that you went into. And we've been seeing that personalization, individualization, customization, uh, localized assortments are really a way to address that and hopefully overcome it. So maybe an opportunity in the longer term. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And I know we've always discussed the evolution of how the consumer perceives seasonality and, you know, how trends churn faster and faster and how as consumers churn more to outside influencers and, and other sources to guide their decision-making process, whether it's through inspiration, aspiration, or actual conversion, that may lead to a significant shakeout as far as, you know, planning and inventory goes, which I think is a very interesting angle, especially because we don't know. And I think this levels up to the bigger issue around what's to come for for malls and mall-based retailers, that we don't know how long this is going to last. I think there are still a lot of unanswered questions and, you know, even, you know, medical experts don't know how long it'll take for this curve to level out or reduce. So I think a lot of the ultimate results are still to come, especially because once these closures take place, it's a waiting game, right? So I think that's just the reality that we as an industry are living in right now. But of course, the ones that are not having trouble are the grocers, the mass retailers, which we already sort of talked about. And of course, the e-commerce side, of the business. We're even seeing, you know, apparel retailers, specialty retailers promote more deals and, and offers to close that commerce gap, so to speak. But this is creating a lot of tension, I think, around, you know, supply chain, balancing supply and demand. And um, of course, the reality is around logistics and fulfillment. I know, Adam, you have a lot of interesting perspectives around not just the e-commerce impact, but but also just mm. the broader issues around supply versus demand, especially as we take into account the issues surrounding uh, hoarding, which I know <laughs> a lot of, of people are trying to level the chaos a little bit, but it's just, you know, human nature, it seems. So, I mean, what are you seeing from that standpoint? Well, you know, you make a good point about food stores and the retailers that are selling necessities or what people perceive as necessities. There and and Moody's Investor Services in their notes about this indicated, yes, they're doing fine on the retail end, it, but it's the supply chain interruptions that make them stumble. Certainly, anecdotally, I'm sure we've all been to supermarkets or food stores, and maybe our favorite brand is not available right now, or maybe you know certain sections of things that that get replenished on a regular basis. Maybe the shelves are bare or, or much bare than we're used to seeing. I think the strongest indication of changes in e-commerce supply was Amazon's announcement yesterday that its marketplace sellers, it would not create shipments, which is essentially they won't accept products and orders coming in from any seller that's not selling what they call essential supplies. And they identified, obviously, food, uh, health and beauty care, pet care, but nothing that's, I guess, a want versus a need. When you think about the scale of Amazon's marketplace and that there's estimates that over half of its sales come from its marketplace sellers, that's that's a major, major stopping point <laughs> occurring in the supply chain. There's also impacts on the last mile, which I think we're going to get to a little bit later. One interesting thing I did want to mention, and uh, this has been reported in Forbes, that LVMH, the luxury brand, 
is changing some of its manufacturing lines from making perfume to hand sanitizer, and that they're going to be supplying this to the French authorities, with, they're based in France, and to European hospitals. And I think it was uh, Richard Kestenbaum and Forbes saying, this is positive in three different ways. It kind of shows that they're doing thought leadership. It's keeping their people employed. And, you know, really, it's a super positive thing on on many fronts. And I wonder if vertically integrated retailers and manufacturers are going to start looking at if there's any way that they can, to coin a phrase, make lemons out of lemonade. Sorry to use a cliche. That's interesting. And I know Amazon has made some announcements recently around uh, boosting hiring rates to fulfill those orders. And I know that there have been announcements that delivery period uh, will be extended, I think, just to manage expectations a little bit. I know urgency is expanding uh, across the consumer base. So it's interesting to see across all these different areas that we're discussing, I think, during our conversation today, that there are these little trickles of not just adapting, but innovating in, in some way. I think, you know, Best Buy is a case of innovation. They kind of took what works for their business and kind of made the best out of the new requirements. And Amazon, which has already been relatively known for keeping a pretty level head around consumer expectations, you know, what needs to be fulfilled and when, and, and they're kind of keeping pace with that demand, I, I think, in a lot of ways. So I don't know, is there anything else that, that we need to touch on around like the impact for delivery? I'm, I'm sure there there is going to be some variance across retail, across different categories. But as far as e-commerce goes, I mean, as that demand increases, you know, of course, FedEx is still running from what I'm seeing. There are no major disruptions there. But I mean, as demand shifts from stores and online to primarily online, what's going to be the trickle down effect there? Are we going to be seeing more delays or more announcements maybe from the FedExes of the world around, you know, new requirements or, or new guidelines to keep up with this surge in demand? I feel like that's the big question for me right now that, that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Yeah. There's some data from Convey, who's a solution provider in the last mile and as they call it, delivery experience management. And it's only from measuring through mid-March from early February, they're saying fulfillment time has increased almost 40%, going from 15.1 hours to 21.2 hours, which is just about a 33% increase, I would say. And that delivery delays have increased at parcel carriers. Overall rate of delays changed from 2.9% three weeks prior to 4.2% today. So yeah, I think across the board, we're going to be seeing those kinds of delays. And that brings up a huge challenge for the shippers, the third-party companies, and the retailers slash manufacturers in terms of transparency and communication with customers. They have usually not done a great job about that, or it's been extremely inconsistent. Some brands do a really good job, some do a horrible job. And I think everybody is going to have to step that up, especially given the fragile psychological state of the US and world consumer. That's the other thing to remember. This is this is a global phenomenon. And as far as I'm concerned, I mean, you could also look at some of the companies too that are retail adjacent here within that gig economy, whether we're talking about Instacart and how many retailers they've worked with. Both Instacart and Fresh Direct are now uh, hiring more employees as part of trying to really maximize what they can do with the supply chain and really get more delivery drivers out there. 
We have Peapod, which is uh, Stop and Shop's their own delivery platform. They actually had to add new cloud servers due to the increased demand. And I think that's something on the back end as you receive more orders, as you understand more shopper data that's coming through. You know, you can't just think of that people side. You do have to think of really what kind of tech can make this experience improved and how much do you really need to ensure that you are able to get that demand. I think having those kind of servers that are implemented certainly goes a long way. And it's something that I feel like a lot of retailers have always tried to do. But at this point, I think now they're going to be forced to really ensure, hey, more of our more of our orders are getting put to cloud servers that would be able to really hold through this data. I think it's just so important now going forward. And it's a lesson for a lot of retailers that still, even before all this, have had struggles with getting their delivery at a quick rate. I know it's going to take uh, more expenses, but clearly this is a time where you could take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Very fascinating point. And I do want to go back to that people component because I think the reality is retail is a people business, um, especially when we're talking about the gig economy. I know one of the things that is top of mind for me, just given the mixed messages and also mixed perceptions around treatment of gig economy workers, you know, how they're paid, how sick time is handled. I'm interested to see if there's going to be any sort of impact, um, you know, if and when these workers get affected by coronavirus, whether it be through, you know, a family member or they themselves, what the ultimate implications are there. Uh, And just across the board, I know, you know, before we close up, we do want to speak to some of the measures that retailers have been taking. I think really standout measures, how proactive and responsive retailers are being around, not just the store closures and not just advising or revising hours to accommodate elderly and at-risk consumers, but also what they're doing to accommodate their employees, right? Because there are realities that even, you know, full-time hourly workers need to face around managing time off, uh, managing sick time. And there are brands and retailers such as Glossier that have put their stake in the ground saying that in light of these closures, that we will continue to pay store employees for their shifts. Um, Of course, in the case of Glossier, they also do have a very small number of stores. So I think the revenue impact there is not as significant for, say, you know, a Target. However, on the other end of the spectrum, we're hearing from brands like Whole Foods and and Amazon, rumblings around the notion of trading shifts and making it more of a employee to employee issue that if you do have to navigate this in some way, whether through your family or through yourself, there are it's going to have to be handled uh, employee to employee. I know they did implement a bit of a wage hike, a $2 per hour wage hike for uh, all hourly employees through the next month. But still, you know, just looking at the social media feedback, you know, the outcry, not just from employees, but from consumers. The reality is this isn't just a workforce issue. It's also a brand issue at at this point. And more and more consumers are paying attention to the well-being of their fellow man, especially in a a case like this, right? We, We need to have that empathy and that attention to how others are faring through this time of need, especially the the hourly employees. I know Home Depot is another company that has revised its hour of paid 
sick or personal leave. Full-time hourly employees will receive 80 additional hours, while part-time employees will get an additional 40 hours. So they're all trying to take these incremental measures, I think, again, as we all begin to learn more about, you know, the current status and how this may potentially evolve across not just the U.S., but the world. But it was reassuring to see the growing number of brands and retailers that were taking proactive measures to not just say, oh, we're not just protecting our consumers, we're protecting our employees as well, whether it be through paid sick time and those revised hours, again, just to ensure that the proper sanitation and cleaning is done to ensure that it's a safe environment for everyone. So I think that's the other area that it'll be interesting to see what other retailers put their stake in the ground and say, you know, this is a people issue, again, uh, across the board. So we need to make sure that our people are taken care of. And it's interesting you mentioned Whole Foods because it seems to me that other retailers coming after Whole Foods kind of learned from their mistake. They did catch a lot of flack by their CEO suggesting that healthy workers could donate their sick time to those that needed to take it. And I just find it fascinating, again, from a public perception or brand perception point of view, it could have so easily been seen as a real positive. Like, this is the Whole Foods community, and we're all out to help each other. And if you've got sick time that you're not using, you can give it to your fellow employee. Instead, it came across as cold, corporate, you know, corporate trying to essentially leech things off of their employees. And it certainly doesn't help that Whole Foods is owned by Amazon, and which is such a giant that people are constantly like, why aren't they doing something? They have enormous cash reserves. That's a big difference from a local or regional retailer where they might be able to say, hey, can you cover this shift for this person because they're not feeling well versus a national viewpoint there. But I have a feeling the smarter brands are going to take that lesson and be super, super careful about how they communicate this both to their employees and to the public at large. Absolutely, especially if they're going to market as a people or values-driven company. And that was a really key thing that stuck out to me when I was looking through Glossier's announcements across social media, on their website, both from the brand itself as well as through founder Emily Weiss. They, they really zeroed in on we're set out to make a positive impact on our world. And part of that means having a positive impact on our people. And I think you bring up a great point, Adam, that Amazon does not necessarily have the best reputation as far as, you know, treatment and conditions for especially their warehouse employees. So I think a lot of people already have their guard up for Bezos. And, um, you know, even though they're a customer obsessed company, and that's great, and that was what makes them so sticky and unavoidable as consumers. Again, I think as more people become more attuned to those workforce issues, it'll be interesting to see if there's any backtracking or any revisiting of those procedures. Again, as we start to learn more uh, around what the long-term effect or, or timeline of the coronavirus pandemic really, really is. Absolutely. And that's the other effect of this whole thing is that things that happened just a few days or a week ago seem like they happened a long time ago because things are literally changing day by day and hour by mm -hmm. hour. So we might be able to do this podcast again in 10 days and come to totally different conclusions. Yep. But 
that's just how this situation is unfolding. Absolutely. It's it's interesting. Like you said, it's moving so rapidly, but at the same time, it feels like sometimes the days are going by very slowly. So it's, <laughs> it's an interesting double-edged sword there. But um, with that, I think we're at the top of our time together. Adam, Glenn, thank you both again so much for taking the time out. A truly insightful and uh, detailed conversation, I think, around the current state of affairs, the unanswered questions, the possibly <laughs> statements, could be statements, But again, we can only keep an eye on what's happening in the marketplace, in the broader world. You know, already there are some signs of improvement in China. So that's interesting to see people starting to go to stores over there, some some trickles of recovery. So uh, hopefully, you know, knock wood, um, it's only a matter of a time before we start to see some sort of indication that this curve is going to start to level out a little bit. So Glenn... Adam, thank you again so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. You're absolutely welcome. Thank you. And thanks everyone out there for listening today. We know that we're in a very uncertain, even scary time right now. And our goal is to keep an eye on what's happening in the industry and keep you informed every step of the way. With that, stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. We'll see you next time.